Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. What up, y'all? This is Ed Lover. Come on, son. Welcome to the podcast, man. Oh, my God. I got a great interview coming up for y'all. The one and only Just Blaze is going to be joining me here shortly. Yes, you know, 20 years in the music business. We're going to talk about everything from Rockefeller to Emil. We're going to talk about Dipset. We're going to talk about records that he made that was supposed to go to one person and ended up somewhere else. We're going to talk collectibles. We're talking video games. Everything that Just Blaze has his hands in we will be talking about and a few pleasant surprises along with the conversation. I am so happy that I had the opportunity to sit down with Just Blaze on a Zoom call and talk to him. Man, y'all don't know how much I admire Just Blaze. And I always felt like Just Blaze should be universally recognized as one of the greatest producers of all time. Um, this, this dude went from beat maker to full on out producer. It's just such an incredible journey. And I had the opportunity to sit down and talk to Just Blaze. But before we get to this Just Blaze interview, there's something on my mind that I want to share. I was looking at somebody's podcast the other day because I'm a fan of podcasting. And the person who shall remain unnamed had the nerve to get on their podcast and say that they were the best podcast in the world. I uh, feel like 2 Chains. When 2 Chains says something to the effect that you're the realest nigga in the room if I'm not in there or if I stop breathing... You the best podcast if I stop breathing. Everybody thinks they're a podcaster nowadays. Everybody. No experience in radio at all. But all of a sudden, you behind the microphone and you get some guests and you think you're the best podcaster in the world. And you rely on guests to make sure that your podcast is great. I listen to Sean King a lot on the podcast. I never really hear Sean King have a guest. And his podcasts are riveting. I'll take my hat off to the man. A lot of y'all get these podcasts and y'all put them up and y'all put what I call these clickbait up there that a person supposedly said this and then I got to watch 30 minutes of a boring ass interview to hear allegedly what the person said. And and it might be a one second blur. Oh, such and such says Diddy had Biggie killed. So of course, it's something like that you're interested in. You're going to click on it, but you got to listen to 40 minutes of Diddy talking about Ciroc or something else. And never, and it never happens. He never, he never says that. But people using these quotes to get you to click on their corny ass podcast. This game is not for everybody. I've been doing podcasting for a long time before I even made ten cent off of podcasting. Okay, the one and only Combat Jack is the one that got me into podcasting. You have to have a love for podcasting. You have to have a love 
for talking. You have to have a love for being interesting. You have to do your research. You have to look up things. You got to be some kind of intelligent to be successful in podcasts. And a lot of you are not. Just because you got a Bluetooth mic and a laptop does not make you a podcaster. And damn you if you're talking about you got the best podcast in the world. Because I can name five to ten podcasts that is better than this person's podcast. Okay, you have to lean on a co-host every single time you crack that mic. For you to be even remotely interesting, I could do this by myself. I mean, I got just today, but I've done many podcasts where it's just me talking for an hour and people listen to them because they're interesting and they know that I know what I'm talking about. So come on, son. You the best podcast in the world, please. I have to die first and then I may resurrect and still be better than you. You got to be kidding me. Come on, son. And while I'm on, come on, son. Did y'all see Joe Biden's dog bit somebody in the White House and they won't say who he bit? So they sent the dog back to Delaware. That is ill, ain't it? I mean, come on, son. If my dog bit somebody, they would want to put my dog to sleep. But because it's the presidential dog, he gets to go back to a cushy farm in Delaware while this person is probably bleeding profusely in the White House. And let me ask you a question. If your dog, if you're the president, your dog bites somebody, can that person sue you? And was the dog on a chain? Or was the dog just running around loosey-goosey in the White House? And it's not one of them little fluffy shit zoo dogs or Labrador puppy or none. These are two big-ass German shepherds that the president and the first lady had. Why are you letting a German shepherd run around the White House off the chain? Obviously, he's not trained because he bit the shit out of somebody. I can't wait to find out who this dog bit. I bet you it was Melania Trump trying to sneak back in the White House for one of her ugly ass outfits, right? And the dog caught her and bit her. Come on, son. You can't have dogs running around the White House just all willy-nilly. And speaking of willy-nilly, all you people that came down here to Atlanta for All-Star Weekend, it wasn't really an All-Star Weekend. Y'all just looking for an excuse to come to Atlanta. Come on, son. Come to Atlanta anytime. You ain't got to wait till All-Star Weekend. And can I ask y'all a question? Why do y'all wait to shop when y'all get to Atlanta? I mean, it was my wife's birthday. I had to go to the Keith and James store to get her this hat that she wanted. So I thought it was in Neiman Marcus. At the time, I didn't know that Keith and James, the originator of the red bottom hats, I didn't know they had their own store in the uh, Fitz Plaza, which is across the street from Lenox. Lenox Mall was a zoo. Everybody and their mama down there spending seven, dollars $800 on ugly-ass shoes. You had to wait online to go downstairs to the men's department in Neiman Marcus. Come on, son. And a lot of y'all running around looking absolutely ridiculous. I mean, when are you going to grow up? You 38, 39 years old with your pants hanging off your ass and you got on dirty drawers. Come on, son. Get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. It's all bullshit. And some of the outfits that you women had on, hey, I'm not weight-shaming. I'm not fat-shaming at all. But some things don't need to be worn in your weight class. That's all I'm going to say. You know who you are because everybody in the mall saw you. Come on, son. Fuck out of here with that bullshit. And stop hanging your stuff out all over the place and then get mad when somebody make a comment. You showing it off, we're looking at it, we're going to comment. It's like if I wear a dope-ass hat, somebody could come up to me and say, Hey, Ed, that's a dope hat. I'm not going to get mad at you. But if you got silicone in your butt and you got on the tightest things and we can see your V in the front and some dude walk up to you and tell you how much he would like to bang the crap out of you, how can you be mad? You're showing it off. Come on, son. Fuck out of here with that bullshit. Long as he don't touch, that's all right. He can say whatever you want to say. It's called free speech. Come on, son. We got Just Blaze coming up. I'm Ed Lover. This is Come On, Son, the podcast. And I approve this message. Come on, son, son. There you go. What's, what up, family? How are you? 
I'm good, Mr. Just Blaze. How are you, sir? No complaints. No complaints, bro. Are you in your home studio? Did, did I interrupt your creative process? Oh, no, no, not at all. I, I was handling some family stuff. Pardon my lateness. We uh, we had an issue uh, with the baby real quick, so I had to handle that. And, well, I, pre- I appreciate you joining me, man. No, I appreciate you asking me to come through. Man, I was I was saying earlier when I first started doing this podcast, I'm going to have to go back and re-record it because I wasn't recording myself, but the video was on. I was saying I don't understand why after 20 years of success that you've had in this business, when people name the greatest hip hop producers of all time, it's always it's always Pharrell. It's always Timbaland. It's always Swiss Beats. Um, sometimes they throw Teddy Riley in there. We give Teddy props because he really kind of started his career as a producer, as a hip hop producer right. before he really moved on. And I don't hear Just Blaze a lot. And and I'm not understanding why that is. Why do you think it is? Oh, I, I don't know. I I, I I couldn't tell you. Um, Does well, it bother you? No, um, no, not really. I I never I never did this for the. Um, the fame or the or the or the accolades and in in, in my experience um you know I, I i i do get mentioned so i'm i'm just happy to be I'm, here's my attitude i'm happy to be here right you think about it the fact that you said that i get or that that i've done this for 20 plus years right most of us as producers many producers don't even get um five years true much less you know 20 plus like i I had I had major records in you know 1999. I had major records in 2005. I had major records in 2011. I still work on major projects in 2020 or 21 now. You know I'm probably what I'm working. One of the projects that I'm working on now, which I can only speak about in a limited capacity, is probably bigger than any of the rap stuff that I that I've done for put together. So I I, I can't be mad at that. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's for me it's just about being able to get paid to do what I love to do um and, and make a living out of it yeah that, that's all that really matters isn't that beautiful brother it's, it's an amazing feeling and i'm sure you can identify you can i can definitely it. identify with that as long as you love what you do you'll never work a day in your life somebody told me exactly and, and i know that's a cliche saying but it really is true like i've, I've never had a job <laughs> even before i was making music like when i was you know my first place of employment like when i was 12 i was a summer camp counselor um you know but i was getting but I was going on trips every day and watching kids. Right. When, when I when I when I worked in a mall at Aero um Aeropostal, um, you know, this was during their quote unquote glory days, you know, in 1993, 94, when it was the coolest thing to to be wearing next to uh Polo or Tom, right? So I worked in a mall, got to get clothes at 80% off, you know, and it was the freshest clothes that was out. Right. You know, all I had to do was take some people's money and put it in the register, you know, or in or and, and, and fold some jeans. You know, um from there I started DJing at a roller skating rink. And from there I was making music. Like I've never really had a job. Yeah, what was what was that hip hop scene or music scene like growing up in Patterson, New Jersey? Um that's a loaded question. I would say for me personally, you know, from going uh from the perspective of of Looking back at this point, um, you know, we had places like The Rink, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Absolutely. You know, we had Skaters World, which you might be familiar with. 
feeling. I, I and I DJ that, but you know, one of the greatest things for me looking back was um, uh, the fact that you had this interesting marriage of, of, of worlds because you had hip hop, which was happening, but then you also had house music, which was which was big around all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I grew up with that and thinking that that was normal. And then as you as you travel and as you explore different cultures and different cities, you realize that that really wasn't the norm outside of where we came from. We were kind of in our own bubble, you know? Um, but especially in terms of hip hop, you know, there was just so much good music coming out of time. And it was still very much like the wild, wild west. Um, very much like the wild west in terms of just, you know, like being able to travel within 10 minutes and and seeing, running into YZ, running into Queen Latifah, running into Redman, running into the doors of the underground. You know, as, as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the things that I always say made it very, um, it, uh, getting older, or, or, you know, around that time in the, in the mid to in the mid nineties, it humanized it for me. And it made me, um, it made me, uh, or, or gave me an awareness that I didn't have as a child. In other words, like those run-ins that I had when I was 16, 17, 18, DJing at open mics or DJing at, at certain places and playing my own beats. For example, I didn't open my, you know, and the artifacts being like, yo, put that beat back on, you know, when, when they're MCing at an open mic and it happens to be my beat. Right. You know, and me being like, oh, this is for real. Like, these <laughs> aren't people that, these aren't just the superheroes that you see on, on TV or on an album cover or, you know, in, in, the, in the back of a, on, 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 uh, in the back of a magazine or, or on the cover of a magazine. These are actual real people and, and seeing them as real people and seeing them as, um, I didn't see them as peers because obviously I was nobody at the time, but seeing them as real people made it, humanized it for me to a point where I realized, you know, I could probably do really this. Yeah, Patterson is known as a rough and tumble part of, of New Jersey. I've been to Patterson many yeah. times. Big shout out to everybody in Patterson, always showing me love. Were you DJing? You said you were a DJ at the rink for a while. Um, mm-hmm. Who inspired you to become a DJ? Bro, I've been DJing since I could walk. And I, I, and I, don't, I don't mean that jokingly. My mom has pictures of me um, DJing at my first, at my own first birthday party. Oh wow! Yeah, it, it it was it's a weird thing. Nobody can really put their finger on it in terms of where it came from, in terms of the early inspiration. But what what I can say is that you know having an older cousin who is uh, seven or eight years older than me, you know, um, he, um, he uh, introduced me to the concept of the idea of mixed show radio. You know, like I'm not, I'm not even really that old, but I can remember, like I, I'm, I'm 43, mm-hmm. but relative, relatively speaking, I'm not even that old. But like, I remember hearing the showstopper being premiered on the radio for the first time. Nobody else in my age group that I went to school with even, wouldn't even know what the hell I'm talking about. Right. But that I, was Salt and Pepper's first record, the diss record to uh, Slick Rick and- uh, Right. But like, I remember when it was played for the first time. I remember, yeah. you know, when Soul to Soul Back to Life, the acapella version was, was premiered for the first time and when we were going to play, you know, like I, I was the kid who had the tape of Nice and Smooth, nice and smooth performing Dwick, you know, four years before the record came out, you know, when they were on Molly Mall in Control, you know, mm-hmm. like that, that was my upbringing. So for me, it was just, again, it, it was something that was in my DNA. You know, I, I can't remember where it first happened. It was just always there. Yeah. You've always been a DJ. 
When did you when did you first start um, producing and what was your first placement? Um, so that's a loaded question. I'll give you the short version. I've, I've, I've made beats, quote unquote, my entire life, you know, like going back to like third, fourth, fifth grade. But I was when I was um, when I, I started out as a computer. Pro, or I, say I, started out as, I wrote my first computer program in fourth grade. Right. Mm-hmm. Computer programming and music programming. It's there's, there's really no difference. It's, it's all ones and zeros. It's all logic. And, and that. Um, I've always I'd always been a, you know, a tinkerer and a computer programmer. And I always but my dad was a jazz musician and always had Casio's and Yamaha keyboards around the house. And I would always use those to, to make music right. when he wasn't looking. Um, I remember seeing uh, Nellie Hooper and this you know, this is some nerd, uh, a nerd moment. But like, I remember seeing Nelly Hooper in the Back to Life video, Soul to Soul video on Video Music Box. And if you remember, there's a shot on stage and he's got a Macintosh with a keyboard next to him. And as a kid, I'm like, wait, what does he do, right? Mm-hmm. So I remember dragging my mom to the mall and being like, I need the computer that allows you to uh, make music. You know, like I've always made music. I've, and I've always been, or I was always a beat maker. I didn't become a producer um, until the time that, um, what was the record? Uh, it was a record I did with Jay-Z called, um, Soon you'll understand. Mm-hmm. And we had cut a demo of it. Um, and it was literally just a loop. It was a, you know, kick, snare, hi-hat sample. And I, and I, I had an idea to change it and really give it a song structure. And I went and did everything that I thought should happen to the record. But I wasn't sure how to tell him, like, yo, bro, like, so I took this record, changed it, did this, did that, that, that. And, you know, Hov is a funny dude. He's um he's very nonchalant, right? So mm-hmm. I had already been, obviously, making music for people for a few years. But a lot of times it was just kind of like, you hope the record works out. You, you know, you, either they get in the booth and they spit something that's great and you have a great record on your hands or, or you're... Or, it's just not really that good in the deal. So this is my first time saying I'm gonna I'm going to take it and change it and do this and do that and, and tell the artist what I think should happen. And I bring up his nonchalantness because when I finally played it for him a couple of days later, he was just like, yeah, cool. And I'm like, so is it good? Is it not good? And he's like, well, I don't pay you to make beats. I pay you to produce. So gets produced. You know, so I, I always say that for, for me, that moment was the, uh, the, the, the official change from me just being a beat maker to a producer when I realized that, like, you know, I did have what it took and I, and I, and I, and, and, and I was talented enough to, uh, to, uh, to actually make music as opposed to just make songs as opposed to just making beats. So you just alluded to it as a producer versus a beat maker. So you did find that there's a whole ass difference between producing records and making beats for records. A thousand percent, you know, and and that's one thing that I, I, you know, um, try to uh, inform beat makers on. And it's not from a, from an old head standpoint or, you know, I'm better than you standpoint, you know, because there's nobody, nobody needs to hear that. But just the reality of it is you can make a thousand beats. doesn't mean that you're actually a producer. Like if you didn't take a song from, from, from A to Z, and bring it to and, and deliver it to to the label. What did you produce? You made a beat, right? Back to it, and it might be a great song, but you know what? And that in, in in that capacity, I'm gonna give the artist. If you weren't there for anything creatively, I'm gonna give the artist um as much uh or artist or engineer or whoever. I'm gonna give them as much production credit as I would as as I would give personally. Who just made the basic beat? What was your first major placement? Um, oh, Mace. 
Mace, uh, he was doing the Harlem World album. Okay. Um, that's when I, you know, that's basically how I got discovered or got myself discovered. I, I, I positioned myself to it. How did you position yourself from, from Mace to hear your production? Um, at the time I was working at a studio called the Cutting Room. Okay, I heard of the Cutting Room. Yes. Uh, I was I was uh, an assistant engineer and, um, and uh, well actually my, my my title at the time was general assistant, base, aka the guy who did everything. Okay. <laughs> so you know I, I was the I was the general assistant there, and what I used to do was um, we always put it is I was Justin Smith general assistant and assistant studio manager from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. from 7 p.m. to you know 8 a.m. I was just blazing train. And right. Was after I got out after I got out got off work i would go into one of the unused studios play you know and work on my music and leave the door slightly cracked in the hopes that somebody might walk past and hear something and one day we had a session booked and it was for mace he was sequencing something i forget what it was he wasn't recording it was, it was sequencing mm-hmm. um a sampler tape or something remember back in the 90s you know everybody had samples right and um they were uh, sequencing something and um I made sure to have the door cracked so that when somebody walked past, they might you know, hear something they like. And sure enough, and I, I used to do that a lot during that era. So sure enough, during this particular May session, somebody walked past, you know, and it was part of his management team. Um, shout out to the homie Super Sam, still one of my good friends to this day. You know, Super if you ever hear uh what is May saying? Um, more money, more problems. Kuda, school me to the game now and know my duty. Um, Sam worked. Sam was Kuda's part. Okay. So it was Kuda and Sam in, in, in the next room. And uh, they, um, you know, Sam heard what I was doing, liked it, asked Kuda, Kuda to come in the room. And um, they were like, so who are you? What do you do? And I'm like, I, I just want to, you know. And uh, me and Sam spent about 48 hours straight in that room just put music together you know, we, we bonded it and, and, and clicked instantly and um that uh ended up leading to not just my first placement but my first placement ended up being a, uh, the first single off the Harlem world album um i really like it mm-hmm. and uh you fast forward two months later i'm watching i'm at my day job sitting on the couch you know, in the in the uh, in the lobby, watching my a record that I made the beat for uh, premiere on MTV. Wow, that must have been that must have blew your mind right there. How did your whole Rockefeller relationship start? Um, this also goes back to the cutting. So, um, it's the shortest way to put this. Um, so, with uh, Rockefeller happened um, through, uh, if anybody remembers, um, if anybody's ever heard the record, Lord knows, with me and Drake and Rick Ross, there's a line. Um, I'm paid up. Roberson boost the rate up, or Roberson boost the rate up. It's time they all paid up, something like that. Roberson is G. Roberson. Uh-huh. Um, G. Roberson was a junior A and R writer. He was like one below that in the Um, and um, he had an artist named Billy Badgate. Mm, I remember Billy Badgate. Right. So shout out to Billy. Yes, shout out to Bad. Bad, what up? So Bad didn't have a demo. What G was because G um G was handling Bad outside of Rock and what. Um, what G would do with Bath was he would take him to labels and just have him rock. And you know their whole thing was there was you know you don't have a demo, just listen to him rock. So um, I had had a meeting with Dino Devaye, uh, who was the guy who's credited credited with um, discovering Cash Money, right? Um, and with you know he was the guy who brokered the Universal, um, that uh, you know that brought the, the guy that brought basically brought the Universal. So it's 
there's a meeting that gets orchestrated between me and Dino. I play him a bunch of music. He loves the music. Um, he's like, yo, I'm working on this new Rakim album, which became the 18th letter album. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, working, I'm working on this new kid in cannabis. This guy, I think he was trying to do his second Lost Boys album at the time. And he was like, I'm, I'm going to make you big, 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 big. I'm going you know, to make you the next super producer. I have all these albums that I'm working on, and I love what you've done. I, I, I love this. You know, this, I, I love the. You know, he basically loved my beat CD and sold me on a bunch of stuff that never had. I, me and Dino had a great meeting and I never heard from but he had a meeting with G and G brought in Bathgate. Bathgate didn't have a, a demo. So Dino expected me to hear a demo but and wasn't hearing one said, All right, if you want to run for me, I'll put in a CD of beats that I just got. And it was yours. And it was my it was my beat CD. So that happens. G asks Dino, who's beats are you? And um, oh this kid just he looks at a studio called the cutting. G starts calling the cutting room looking for me. I think it's a prank call. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and sometimes I would answer the phones, and I happened to answer the phone when she called. And um, if you remember an artist by the name of Bruce Hornsby, from Bruce Hornsby of the Range, um, who actually Tupac sampled him for That's the Way. It yeah, was. that's the way it is. Yeah. Right. So me and Bruce ended up becoming friendly because he was the book, the cutting room all the time. And oh, he, wow. knew that I was, he knew that I was an aspiring producer and beat So he would sometimes call the cutting room um, for, you know, for work related stuff. But he, would, he would tell, he would, he would crack jokes on, right? So like, sometimes he call and be like, hey, this is Bruce Hornsby, Galaxy Records, Crush Group. Yeah. And he's like, who wants a record deal? You know, so when G calls me, or G, when G calls the studio, he's like, hey, I'm looking for a guy named Justin. He, make, he makes beats. You know, I'm thinking, oh, it's Bruce. But he got somebody else to call. What up, Bruce? All right, bye, whatever. Right. And hung up on G twice. And the third time, he calls back like, hey, I was trying to talk to a kid named Justin who makes beats. And my name is G. I'm from Rockefeller Records. It's Jay-Z's label. And I'm like, very funny, Bruce. How do you, how do you know about Jay-Z? <laughs> oh, and then I'm like, wait a minute. All right, hold up. What's up? You know, because like, I'm starting to realize that this, because G's like, no, no, don't hang up. Somebody's already hung up on me twice. Right. And that's when I realized that it was a real call. And from there, that, that phone call is literally how my relationship with Rockefeller started. Wow. Is it true that you didn't talk to Jay-Z for a year or you weren't allowed to talk to Jay-Z for a year? No, that that was from the Lord Jamar podcast. He raised it and, and made it weird. I, I never said that I wasn't allowed to talk for a year. I said, I just, I just, I, I, it, it, I, I didn't, I, it, I didn't have the access to difference between not having access to the Oh, okay. So you were still making music and making beats for him, but... Right, I, well, I, I wasn't making music for him. Like So at the time, oh, okay. around this time, the Cutting Room era, I was working with, I was working on the Emil album. Um, that was my entry point, was working on Emil. So I was making music for her. Um, I think I had made a, uh, I had made a beat for uh, the Beanie Siegel album, which featured him like this week. And at the same time, I'm trying to get to Jay, but I just don't have the direct line to Jay. Right. So I send my music through Gene or through hip hop, and I would always get feedback back from or through them. So like, I have to give you the tape or give you the CD and then I have to wait to hear back from you and get the feedback from you. The feedback right. was, you know, the drums aren't good enough, the, you know, the music isn't good enough, whatever, or the, the sample chop was a little weird, whatever it was, you know, and when I, um, going back to Bathgate, when I did a, me and Bath had a record called That's Right and um, again, G was handling, you know, Bath's project eventually got him a deal on Virgin. So we did that record, G, because he was also a and on Mills' album and because I was engineering 
during the Bills album, we were able to make that happen. So once um, that record happened and the record got submitted to Jay, because Amil is his artist, Jay was like, yo, who did this beat? Oh, just all right, cool. Have him come to baseline and play me some more stuff. And that's where that relationship started. So it wasn't that I wasn't allowed to talk to him. It was just, it was just, I didn't have a direct lane until that record happened. Just, that, is, there, is there a complete Amel album somewhere in the vault? No, it's out. That, oh, her, album, her album got released on Sony. It was called the All Money Is Leave. Um, her album, you can go to iTunes or Spotify, whatever you, wherever you stream from. It's, it's out right now. I, I only have officially produced one song, but I associate, or I should say, um, I quietly co-produced that entire How much of that is Jay-Z's pen? None. None of it's all written by Amel? None. Like, I've literally seen fights break out. I remember fights breaking out in the room, and I'm not even exaggerating physical fisticuffs breaking out when somebody would suggest um, a different rhyme or something that she should change with her rhymes. One of the things that she uh, prided herself on more so than anything else was the fact that she wrote the entire house. Right. But no, none of that was Jay's pen. Other artists, we different story. Mill, she wrote her entire album. Herself. Oh, wow. In your opinion... Actually, now that I think about it, um, before that, I think, and I could be wrong, I think the verse on Do It Again, which was her her intro to the world. Right. I think he already had that verse written and just needed somebody to say. Okay. And um, can I get it? Uh, or maybe that's, actually, I think that's what I'm thinking. I think it was can I get it. I think that that verse was already written and he just needed somebody to say it. But anything post that first record, she wrote all of it. I saw, I saw an interview you did with my good friend, Lord Jamal and, and Rod Digger. And y'all were talking about um, beats, people giving you four bars or something like that for towards the end of the song. And Digger was saying, nah, she just she, she writes her own and that's it. She's not taking any four beats from anybody else. And you were saying it doesn't mean that you're a bad artist because you take beats or uh, bars from someone else. <laughs> It's uh, listen. I, I'm I'm a I'm a relatively I, I have to use the phrase relative. I'm a relatively younger guy um, in the hip hop space who has come in from a very young age. I, I fully understand where you know, I fully understand the idea of having to write your own rhymes and why that's important. I would never ever discount. That doesn't mean that I would discount somebody who is widely considered great and has done great things because they had help in the studio. Every great songwriter from every genre in music has had help. Somebody. Right, and the thing is, is like I could I, I could list a bunch of people's favorite rappers that I've given four bars, right, or three bars, two, two bars, four records they were trying to finish up, four records they were trying to start off. So if that's okay, then where do you draw the line? I think it changed really changed with Puff. I think Puff really changed it when he started when he started rapping and he just started paying ghostwriters to write for him, and then of course Jay writing for Foxy, Nas, you know, um, you know, Nas writing like, for Foxy, Biggie with Kim, you know, right. stuff like that. But ultimately, like. There's certain artists that you look at and you're like, all right, like nobody is looking at a Dre or a Puff for their lyricists, right? Right. Let's be for real. So who cares? Yeah. I, I think at the end of the day, I think hip hop grew up and, and, and understood that it's a business. And I think a lot of artists would have lasted a lot longer in hip hop with hit records if they would have. They had taken a creative direction from their producers or other people. That right. Was, you know, and that, and that and that that's always been my thing. Like you know, like other producers that had, that are heralded, you know, as greater than me 
have called me like, yo, I, I need to fix these roads. I need, I need, I need, I need a new kit. I need a new shit, right? Right. I've called other, I've called some of those same producers, like, or I've, I've met some of those same producers and they're like, yo, try these drugs. Does that make me less of a producer? No. Does it make them less of a great? No. It, wouldn't that be the equivalent to, uh, wouldn't that be the equivalent to Quincy, Quincy Jones uh, bringing in a songwriter or bringing in Jerry Hay to arrange the horn section? Well, that's what the example that I always use is, I always, it's, it's funny that you, you bring that up because I always say, you think Quincy Jones is the greatest? And many people by default will say yes because he produced the Lillian and a bunch of other stuff. And I'm like, you realize Quincy didn't play one instrument that played on none of those albums you just mentioned. Right. He just, he knew who to call. Yeah. He knew who to get to arrange the drums. He knew, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, the horns and strings. He knew to bring Rod Temperton in to, uh, to, to, to write lyrics. Yeah, he knew that he knew to bring Greg Fillinganis in to play the key, the keyboards. Right. He knew to have he knew to have James Ingram in the studio arranging vocals right. the he same way the same way Sheik knew to go get Luther Vandross to arrange their vocals. Right, or knew to call what's the name? Uh, that's it. Was it Sandy Patty or, pa- or Patty Austin? Patty Austin or Sierra uh, Sierra Garrett? Um, Saida Garrett, excuse me. Right, he knew who to call. Right, really, that's the job of a producer. Doesn't mean that he's not great. That actually was what makes him great. You know, and that's what makes a lot of the artists and producers that we're you know that we're alluding to great is that they knew who to call. Somebody there have been multiple times where a producer, like up until I, I BS you not, one of the greatest producers of all time, any genre, called me less than a month ago because the drum, his drums weren't hitting hard, you know, and I'm like, all right, use this drum, use this kick, use this snare, you know, if you need me to program it, I'll program it. Can you program it? Sure, no problem. Oh, you know, I'll get a percent or two on the record, whatever, but it's not even about that. It's just, that's what makes him a great producer because he knows that one of the things that I do well is drums. Right. So he's going to call me the same way that Quincy would have called any of the people that we just mentioned. Yeah, that's a, it's a collaborative F- effort. What I, is your best Jay-Z production you think you've ever done? I don't have a best one. I I do have ones that I'm uh, proud of. I mean, it's, it's like asking somebody who's, who has kids, who's your favorite kid? <laughs> and, and none of us will ever answer that. Even though we might have a favorite kid, right? Exactly. We we, we, won't, we won't answer that. But um, most proud. Okay, give me most proud of. But I, but I, but I would say like you know having made public service announcement without the intention of making. That's my favorite. Tell me about. That. I think I heard vaguely a story about how that song was made. Like at the last possible. It was literally it was, album. Album, it wasn't even the last minute. The album was done. It was already at it was already at the plant. You know, back when you had actually had to make CDs and records. You remember right. sending, sending a master to the plant. The record was already at the plant. CD wow. albums were already being pressed. And I was at Battery Studios, which was around the corner from Baseline. Um Baseline was the main record for the uh, you know headquarters. Right. And I'm at we had probably we had sent the album to the plant, I don't know, maybe three days before. So the wheels is already turning, stuff is already getting made. And I'm at Battery Studios. Studios um, working on something that was being received in Memphis briefly. I can't remember what it was. It might have been hit on. And um, Ken Lewis, an OG of mine, was, uh, was, was mixing the record. And a homie of mine named Big Jack, um, was one of my best friends to this day, comes by and uh, and plays me this sample while at, at, at the mix session. I'm like, what? So I make the beat in the headphones while Jack is sitting right there and Ken is still mixing the, uh, the record. Because I, I think it was hypnotic ideas a week. But I, I make the beat and I run around base baseline was literally around the corner from that. I run around the corner and I play it for uh Lenny S. Shout out to Lenny. Yeah, shout out to Lenny. I played for Lenny and hip hop and I'm like, yo, we have to change the album. They're like, why? I'm gonna play it. They're like, 
So Jay at the time is doing press. You remember, you know, the way we used to do it back then. Um, you would have press sessions. So you made an album, you invite press to come down and listen, you know, and the way we did it at baseline was we did it in rotation. So like this day is all the Viacom stations, this or this hour is all the Viacom stations, this hour is all the MS stations, this hour, right. hour is all clear channel over there. So he's playing the album for different media outlets without PSA on it. I run into one of those sessions and I'm like, so he comes out in between one of the press sessions playing the blackout and I play him the beat and he's like so what do y'all want me to do and it's me and London <laughs> and we're like you have to you have to rhyme on this and you, that means we have to stop the album that's being manufactured so he's looking at us like what like and in his mind as he's an artist he's in he's in I'm done mode like I, I, right. I'm not trying to make an album I'm trying to sell it you know we're like no you have to and he was resistant for a little while came back and listened or came back and listened to the beat again and was like all right so he went back and did it and the funny thing is is this part of the story i've never told we were having a conversation about silly rap right like this rap that makes no sense or doesn't really mean anything but people love Mm -hmm. and he was telling some of the lower tier artists that we worked with or that were part of the crew you know like guys who just hadn't really made it like yo he was he was basically saying if y'all don't get serious this silly shit is about to take over y'all gotta get serious about y'all shit and 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 get these records basically he was doing a coach pep talk and we had a conversation about silly rap that worked and um one of the records that or silly rap that we all love because some of the some of the guys were like silly rap what does he mean like nobody wants to hear that and we're like oh yeah remember just let me introduce myself my name is Humpty right Humpty just let me introduce myself allow me to reintroduce myself oh wow so that's where that connection came into play it was it was really just a play on on the uh on on the Humpty dance work yeah and that's a great intro to the record now when you played him the beat for PSA all the stuff that you personally used your voice to put on that record wasn't on it. Yeah, when just, did you hear that? After? Because yeah. it sounds like it's uh, when you listen to that record, it sounds like that's how y'all did the record. Like you said your shit, then here comes Jay right. and you say your yeah. shit again. It's put together so well. It's such a perfect hip hop record. Nah, he. So I made the beat, and like I said, I literally rushed over. Like you have to rhyme on this right now. Then here's it. Like, oh my god, he has to rhyme on this. Right now. We do the record, and um, it wasn't until after he laid his verse that I went back and and did it. You know what I will say. Um, um, if you go back in everybody's family and you as a, as a person of color might 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 remember this. One of the albums that everybody had as a kid, you're a little bit older than me, but one of the albums that everybody's family had as a kid was the JFK album. Right. The album that had JFK on the cover with the brown trim around it. Yeah. Put that album on. The first thing they say is fellow Americans. So I had that record and I was like, I, I, I've had that record since you know, oh, my mom and my family. Right. It's in, it's, in the, it's in the crate somewhere in the house. Right. So I remember just playing it and being like, oh, wait a minute. That sounds like an intro. So I just went and kind of did my own riff on that album. Okay. You know, and then um, same thing with the middle. I was really just riffing off of things that I had heard, you know, growing up. Um, but I did all that after he did his verses. Like, basically, he was like, all right, y'all want me to rhyme on this? Whatever. Cool. Went in the booth, did his verses, and then it was up to us to finish the record. Wow. So he did there was no hook or anything. I went back and laid those pieces. I was... I was wasn't really trying to it wasn't one of those records that I thought really needed a hook it just but, it, but we needed something to fill in that space right so I just put something in those spaces got it mixed I think um I might have mixed that by myself in the beat I don't even know if Google I don't even know if Google was in that. 
mixed it, just got it out just to make sure that it made the album in time. Because like I said, there, are, there were already albums at the plant that we had to destroy to replace with wow. that. Did, did, did your Rockefeller stuff happen before Diplomats, Eminem, Kanye West, Rihanna, Mariah? Eric Sermon. I mean, I could go on and on, bro. Kendrick Lamar, Beyonce, all of that. Uh, it was all kind of concurrent. You know, one of the things about the way my Drake, Fab, Breathe, one of my favorite records. Thank you. Uh, one of the things about my situation with Rock about um, the way me and um, shout out to Mesa, uh, you know, she was my, my old manager. Um, the way we structured the deal was um, I was never signed to the. Um, you know, a lot of times people will try to sign you when they're trying to trap you into something. Mm-hmm. None of that was really necessary. They were the hottest thing in the world. Like when I met them, when I first, when I started working with them was as they were rapping volume three. Okay. You know, uh, Life and Times. Right. You know? And and um, they were literally just about to start a Mills album. That's why I worked so much on the Mills album. You don't have, if you're the hottest rap label in the world, or the hottest whatever, you don't really got to trap somebody. All you got to do is pay them, like, pay, pay them like they weigh. Right. You know, and that's ba- basically what they did. You know, my, my initial engagements with them, obviously they didn't cut me a check or a half million dollars out gate, but it was, oh, you like, if you like what you do, obviously we are who we are. Well, you know, uh, you know, uh, we want to hire you to engineer a Mills out. That's how it really started. We want to hire you to engineer a Mills out. Okay. And we had this artist, like I, I mentioned, Bathfield. You know, we have we have we have Bathfield, Bathfield that we try. So it started there, and then from there it was all right. Jay loved the That's Right record, that Mill record that he jumped on. Mm-hmm. So now that's how. Now it's like okay, we have a full blown EP with Def Jam. Um, Jay love Jay loves that one record that you did. And then what happened was when I went um you know once once I got in the room with Jay we hit like three or four records in two days and I think Jay was just at a point where he's like all right round up all the talent like we need artists we need producers we need this we need that I just happened to be the first producer that came in that he that that, that struck a chord right. so you know once we got a year or two in once we got to the point where we're working on the dynasty I, you know now there's a check for you know two hundred thousand dollars two hundred fifty thousand dollars I'm like I'm 18 19 years old wow you know like and all he's doing is saying basically you know we want 20 beats from you at you know 20 grand a pop here's i don't remember the exact numbers but we want 20 grand t- 20 beats from you at 20 grand a pop and here's the first half for those 20 all you got to do is show up <laughs> Oh shit, bro. So, but the beauty, so the beauty of that is it was, it was really like a, you know, some people say that they, they've got a charmed life, kind of charmed career. I was able to work with arguably the best, the most talented clip in rap at that time. But I was still able to go do a record with Fab, you know, go right. do it with Mariah, go do a record with, you know, with, with, with DMX or Jamie Kiss, whatever, you know, and for the most part, all those, everybody was tied together anyway, you know what right. I mean? So it's not like, you know, like Mariah and Jay already had a, had, had a relationship from because they, they had done previous. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, obviously, you know, Fab, Fab comes in through Clarendora, through Endura. Mm-hmm. You know, part of the reason why Clue got to the space that he eventually got to is because it's all, it's still all connected. It's all, it's all connected one way or another. What's the difference for you at crafting production for different artists say like if you're doing a dip set record compared or is are there beats that you won't play for jay-z that you'll say or you won't play for a ti that you'll say well this sounds like more like Dipset or the diplomats that was a so early early on that was a big source of contention like i would have some artists that would get upset so i didn't play them a certain beat and that's because, it's because i didn't i didn't hear them on it so i didn't play order you know what i mean um mm-hmm. every situation was a little bit different i think any as a producer and anybody who says different, differently as well. As a producer, as you're working on a beat before it comes to song, yes, there's always going to be an artist that you, or there's 
there's generally an artist that you hear, about, right? Mm-hmm. So there's times where I've made a beat where I'm like, oh, I hear Emma on this, or I hear, I hear Drake on this. Um, that's not always the case. Sometimes you're making a beat. Don't don't get it twisted. Making beats is like exercise. You know, Jordan didn't become Jordan because he didn't go to the gym. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Sam Kobe didn't become Kobe because they didn't go to the gym. You know, making beats, you still got to go to the gym. So like, for example, Fabulous, like I didn't make beats for Fab, but I didn't make it for anybody. And I had nobody in mind. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was literally winter break exercise. Like, had the sample, went to the studio, you know, and just made a beat over winter break or made a few beats over winter break and that was what, you know, so it's it's a muscle just like just like anything else. Yeah, um, okay. So there are, t- yes, there are times when you make a beat with somebody in mind. There are also times when you're making it just to make it. Um, And the one thing that, I, the last thing that I'll say about that is 99% of the time, music finds its way to where it's supposed to be. And if you ask a bunch of, a bunch of producers, they will all be able to tell you stories about beats you made for one person or with one person in mind that ended up going to somebody else and became it. That's what I want to know. What record, big record did you have for some person and the other person who and who were they? And it became a hit for somebody else. That somebody turned down. Somebody like, yeah, nah, yeah, this yeah. ain't there's, for me. There's, there's a whole list of them that I'll, I'll make it I'll make it quick. All right, give me one, Josh. I'm gonna give you 20. No, I'm fucking <laughs> um Oh Boy was originally played for Memphis Blue. Wow. Pump Pump It Up was uh for being single and, and freeway. Wow. Um, that's why I said that there's all there's a lot of them. Right. Uh, Can't Let You Go by Fab and Little Mo was also Memphis. Um Girls, Girls, Girls was for Ghostface. I can go on and on all day. Oh my god. Did he hear it? No, he. Did. I made it with him in mind, but it's um, and it, it's actually how me and Ghost ended up developing a relationship was because um, I didn't have a I, we had mutual people, but we, I didn't have a direct lane to Ghost. Okay. So when we met years later, you know, um, you know, we were we were in my in my studio, and I was and I was telling him about that. And he was like, "Oh, son, I knew it." <laughs> the second I heard it, I knew I was supposed to rhyme on that. So that's actually how we started our relationship in our friendship. Right. That's uh, now that you say it. I I think about it. That sounds like Ghostface. Yeah, it, it was funny. It was it was made for him. Wow. I I understand that you're a big collector of things. Are you yeah, a sneakerhead or are you just a collector? Of everything. No, um, I'm not. A, I used to be just, but I'm not like I am anymore because you know I've seen the way sneakers are going. I collected sneakers to wear them because I've just wanted to be. I wanted to be fly. And exactly. Jesse Itzler invited me to a Yankee game, and Jay was there, and we were sitting next to each other. He looked at my feet and asked me what I had on, and I had on a pair of Hayes Dunks. And I've I was like, before. I was like, you ain't got you these. Lows and you, or the high? You, wait, you had on the highs or the lows? I had the highs on. Hold on. <laughs> Please don't tell me you got a fresh pair of Hayes Dunk Highs. Just Blaze is about to pull out a fresh pair of Hayes Dunk High Tops. Where these to want the dogs this Yes, sir. Oh, my God, bro. That's it. That's the sneaker that made me become a sneakerhead because Jay-Z did not have that sneaker. And I'm like, this dude got, this nigga got made back outside. I got to walk eight blocks to get my car out the garage. But I got sneakers that he don't have. I'm going, right, I'm rocking. I'm going crazy right now. I, I have I have the the un, I have the Hayes unbranded ones and the and the branded ones. He wow. um, gave, he actually gave me the Hayes gave me those himself. Um, when he opened up his new gallery in Brooklyn, he had just done the Hayes dump, and I, I DJ the uh, the opening, and I didn't I didn't charge him. I was just like, bro, I'm just happy to meet you. Like, right, it's history. You know what I mean? Like, we're just absolutely. Like what you've done. So at the end of the night, he just went went into his office, came back out with two pairs, like boom, there you go. But yes, I I, I um so I I do get it. I I think from my if I had to trace it back, I get it from my mom. I am a collector by nature. I have slowed down a lot. When I say collector by nature, I mean just sneaks. But yes, I do. I have collected a lot of sneaks. I have 
collected a lot of uh, streetwear and clothing. I have collected mm-hmm. BMX bikes, um, vintage uh, music equipment. Basically, what I eventually realized was I was collecting everything that my mom couldn't afford as in, in, in my childhood. Yeah, it, sound, it, sound, it sounds a lot like me. What is one of your most precious pieces of hip-hop memorabilia? Hmm. Oh, he's off again. Just Blaze is about to show us one of his his most precious pieces of hip-hop memorabilia. I have a lot, and, um I know you do, bro. I, wasn't I to, did my homework before this interview. I wasn't prepared to answer this, <laughs> but if you've ever seen the back of the first Run DMC album cover. That's the box? Yes. Wow. I had that box, bro. Yeah. I had that. I bought that box off Jamaica Avenue. With my money, oh my God, brain um, blown. I, I won't say I, I don't. I don't know if that person wants their business out there, so I won't say whose it is. Okay, SP twelve hundred. This was this was used for um, a couple of very seminal albums that we all know and love. Wow, give me one album that was used for. I, I, if I did that, I would tell. I would put the person's business out. Okay, all right. I don't want. I don't want to throw nobody under the bus. No, no. It's not even about throwing anybody under the bus. Sometimes people just might not want certain things traced. You know. Um. Right. You know. I. I. Uh, I, I had. Hey, chill out, chill out. I'm surprised my puppy ain't barking, bro. Yeah, no, my, my they, they just woke up. They, they heard me pull, pulling out stuff out the closet. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, in general, I mean, um, I I, I have a lot of a uh, lot of records uh, that were like the actual records used for certain outside of my own songs, but like right. record that such and such used the sample that went on to make this record. I, I have a lot of that. Stuff You're a great like digger, there. Yeah, you know, um, and then um, also uh, one of the things that I've been collecting lately, and I, 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 I tease the guys with is um is uh press pictures like somebody's press picture from like 1993 that they haven't seen they hope that nobody has seen <laughs> eight by ten glossies yes exactly I still, <laughs> got, I still got a lot of those myself bro that people right and i hit them with yeah. those like remember like I, I the last one i think the last person i hit i think chill out was a uh, clark Kent. i um there was a uh, a press pick. Uh, there was a Dana Dane press pick, and it was him and Dane together. Wow! Oh, he used to be Dane's DJ. Yeah, so absolutely. I hadn't seen that picture since back then. And I said, so like, "Remember when you wore these?" <laughs> I said before you before you came on. I said Grammy Award winner. How many Grammys do you have, and and for what? I don't even know. Um, it's interesting. I am qualified, or I I like I I have a ton of records that have won Grammys. Right. And they used to send me certificates, and I never used to hold on to. Um, or that you know. There was something like the mail and stuff, like you know, to, to be able to collect your award or whatever. I never did, it. and that's one of the things that my mom got. Really Mother should whoop your ass for that. No, my, my mom got really vigilant about. Like she started calling the academy herself, and I'm like, Mom, I'm a governor. Like you can't. She's been calling them. She's like, Why can't I? Can she still get them? Can, can you still get your actual awards? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you can't. You, um, you deserve it, bro. Man, it, it, to be honest, it was just again going, going back to what I said when we first started. It was never something that I I didn't do it for the awards. So, like, for me, being able to take my mom to the Grammys, right? You know, um, and her finally, you know, being able to see Mick Jagger or sit next to Mick Jagger, you know, as a woman who grew up in the fifties and sixties, that to me, that was dope. That was the award. You know what I mean? Right. And I think also, I think what it was was for for me personally. Every time that I was up for my biggest awards, we lost, and it was for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Like, so I kind of lost interest in in that. Like, for example, when Usher's Confessions was up for album of the year, mm-hmm. and we lost to Ray Charles. I think he had just passed. Right, so he, a he posthumous had, award. You knew where it was from. What right. song did you did on? Did you do on Confessions? Uh, throwback. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So you understand why Ray Charles has to get it? Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, you're like it's an incredible on. album, though. Come on, son. <laughs> 
so yeah, yeah, it's just something like that. Again, it's just something that I never really, you know, like, there are still awards to this day, plaques to this day that I, as many plaques as I do have and awards as I do have, there's a ton that I don't. It was never right. something that I really did it, you know, but I am appreciative of, of, of them when they, when they come when they show up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Them plaques still mean a whole lot to me. You've done a lot of DJing on tours, too. You've done, I've seen you on a few Jay-Z tours. Did you mm-hmm. didn't do the best of both worlds, did you, Jess? I did. Did you do New York? I, I was about to say, I think I did New York. Like, when the shit hit the fan? No, I was there. So oh. that's what I was going to say. I did, um, during the uh, Fade to Black show, I want to say he came out and they did a few records. I think once again, all dressed in white. He did that. In terms of the actual best of both worlds tour, uh, when he got when he got hit with the mace and things went sideways. Yeah. Um, I did not do that, but I was there. Okay. You know, like, that was the thing, you know, you know like Jay would just think, would think about, or Jay would, you know, you might have made sense for this tour, you might have made sense for this tour, or maybe I wasn't available for this one or this one or whatever, you know. Like so, so there was this weird thing where people would be like, oh, Justin's you know DJ, do they have beef? And it's like, no, it's, I'm busy doing X, Y, and Z. So you know, he got whoever he got, but I was right there, you know, in, in the audience or right there backstage. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I remember that show. I did not DJ that show when when that happened. That was that was quite a night. Maybe at the time when you're not on tour with with Jay, you scoring video games and stuff like that. Are you a video game? player yourself or do you just enjoy scoring and, and doing music? No, I'm, I'm an active, um, not as active as I used to be, but I'm still a, an active gamer. I mean, you know, I'm a kid that grew up in the 80s. You know, we grew up with Atari and, and Nintendo and so what, so what's your game? What game do you think you're god at? Uh, oh, Call of Duty. Modern modern Warfare. <laughs> Cold, War, Cold War, not so much, but Modern Warfare, you can come see me. I will, <laughs> I will, in fact, I will give you my Activision, um, I will give you my Activision ID. Anybody who likes who'd like to come see me, please that that sounds like a challenge to the people out there. I'm the guy that has all the video game systems because of my son that can't play for shit. <laughs> <laughs> I never, I, like, I, I, I always get them and I just don't play, I don't play video games, bro. Right. No, and, and it's not for everybody, but you know what? There, there's a, for me, I, I, you know, people will, like, I'm a recreational DJ, right? Like, I'm not a real DJ. I would never be a DJ Scratch. I would never be an intro. Oh, yeah, that, that's me. I still got it set in the house. I've been DJing since I was 13 years old. That was really my introduction to, to right. me. Right, but, but for me, it's always been a recreational thing. It's been a backup to, to what I really do, right? Mm-hmm. But, but there's that coordination. Like, people, like, people will see a clip of me playing in Call of Duty and I might go like you know this won't mean anything to you but like I might jump on multiplayer and go 105 meaning I killed 100 people and only died five times right. and they're like how? you're 40 plus how are you doing this and I'm like it's all it's all the same thing it's that it's the buttons, the hand work, you know, all the hand eye coordination, right. like the production of DJing definitely plays a part. There's a lot of there's a lot of producers and DJs on there. We kind of like quietly play with each other, you know, um, in groups online. And when I say the majority of them bust people's ass, I really, I really, I really think it's because of the hand eye coordination they have as DJs. In Give me one person you want to work with you haven't worked with yet. One person. I get asked that all the time, and uh, I have to because you're one of the greatest. No, no, I'm saying, but I, and I, 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 mean, I, I have to ask that. Question. I, I honestly don't have an answer for that. I wish I could have worked. What I wish I could have had okay. was the opportunity to have uh, Michael Jackson, and James Brown, the same room for it. That would have been amazing. I had James Brown for a week on your own TV raps, bro. What? Yeah, a whole week. Yeah, he did a week worth of shows with us. Your own TV raps. What year was it? Damn, I can't remember the year, but you can find it. It's out there. Yeah, no, I'm, I gotta look that up. I've never. I was just asking what year it was because we didn't have cable. We, <laughs> we didn't go for a lot of money, so I, I didn't. Cable was a Christmas present. Uh, the Christmas of '89. Yeah, that's the year. We started. Oh, we started. We started. We started. We started. I don't think we were in a, on a lot of uh, 
in a lot of black neighborhoods at that time. But we had James on for a week, brother, a whole last week of James Brown. That's amazing. But, you know, I think, you know, people, like I said, I get asked that often. Uh-huh. For me, it's a, a cross between having Michael Jackson and James Brown. Same yeah, time. incredible, man. Incredible 20 plus years so far. I know you got a lot more stuff going on, brother. Yes, we do. What's, what's cracking for you right now? You ready to start scoring films, feature films? Um, There are conversations about a few films. Yes, um, please. There are, there are active, active the conversation um what the, the biggest thing that i am involved um is um a video game studio called uh brass lion entertainment um this this is the thing that i'm actually the most proud of uh right now um it there's only but so much I can say about it legally, mm-hmm. but it is the first video game studio that is making AAA titles. AAA meaning like it's not some shit for your iPhone or your Android. It's right. real games owned by black and brown people. Wow. A, woman is, uh, a woman is the CEO. Um, you know, it's the first thing that we've had something like that in the gaming space. Um, but my official title that I've taken on is I think the <laughs> creative director of music and culture. I've basically just been the cool guy out of those partners. <laughs> <laughs> That's my official title now. I was like, dude, I can't just, I just can't just keep saying I'm part of it. I need to tell you, right? right? But it's, 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 um, they are, um, in the midst of making something great. I'm happy to be a founding part of the company. Um, I can't talk about the main things that they're doing, but what I can talk about is, um, I can't talk about the biggest things that we're doing. Right? What I can talk about is a podcast that is coming out called, um, Corner Wolves. Corner Wolves was the first IP, um, and video game idea that we came up with. Mm-hmm. And before we got a deal for it for a game, we got a deal for it to be a podcast and media property with Ron Howard's production. Oh shit. They saw the idea and were like, yo, we want to move on this. So um, so that's in the midst of the podcast for that is in the midst of being recorded right now. What I mean by the podcast is the game is in development as well, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a bunch of characters that are that are um in this game. We're using a, a serialized podcast as a method of introducing all the cast and the characters that will be in the game. So okay. by the time the game comes out, you know, three, four years from now, if you've listened to the podcast, you know who this person is. You know who that person is. Right. You know, and the podcast um, is, I don't know what they have announced and what they have announced just right. I can only say so much. It's set in Harlem in 1996. Okay. Um, musically, is, it is, as, musically and aesthetically, it's as authentic as it can get. Mm. Something takes place during that time. Um, and we have a bunch of voices that you will appreciate if you are around Uptown in 19. Okay. Playing roles in that, um, playing roles in the podcast. That's going to lead to a game as well. But we also have a whole other game that we are actively in development. With, um, that uh, it's going to blow people's mind when, when it not just when it when it comes out, but when it gets announced, it's going to blow people's mind. If you go to my Twitter, um, you will see the first pinned tweet is um is a, a hiring announcement because we are actively hired. Like this is not BS. This is a whole blown, well funded uh company. Like we're not playing. Well, if y'all need voice people, man, I have one of the most distinctive voices. <laughs> oh, we know. You're already on our short list, Ed. Well, thank you, brother. Why do you, why do you think I'm here having this conversation with you? <laughs> Thank you, Jess. No doubt. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna let you go, bro. It's my wife's birthday, and I gotta take her out. And make oh, happy, sure. happy, and blessed birthday to her. Yeah, you heard that, babe. Yes, I did. Thank you. She said, "Thank you, brother." Love, love. congrats, congrats. And, and I'll take it. We'll be in touch on that other project, man. Love you and continued success to you, Jess. Likewise, love, big bro. And please, actually, um, uh, I know we're in touch with DM, but um, I'll get your number from what's her name? Um, from Krista. Yes, in, in, my in, brother. In, okay, do that. All right, brother. Love, love, just blaze. Come on, happy Saturday. birthday. The podcast. What's, my bad. What'd you say? I said. I I was just talking to my wife, bro. I love you, man. Oh, love you too, man. Happy birthday again. Okay.
Come on, son, son. This episode of Come On, Son, the podcast is being brought to you by Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. No, I'm only playing. <laughs> nah, nah. <laughs> nah. Y'all keep going first. Everything else will fall into place. We'll talk at y'all next week, man. Y'all know what it is. Come on, son. This episode of Come On, Son, the podcast is produced and engineered by co-executive producers Krista Hayes and Kimana Paulus in downtown Chicago. This is an official Loudspeakers Network podcast. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.